We have been in an incredible series called Faces, and uh, we are uh, having this conversation about the, some of the significant one another statements in the Bible, that we should forgive one another, accept one another, care for one another, encourage one another. And uh, this morning, we're going to tackle one that is sometimes a little bit uncomfortable, and I, I wanted to preface it by talking about how important this particular one is in order for us to demonstrate healthy love for one another, because the scriptures invite us into this crazy tension that says we should submit to one another. And we don't like the submit word nowadays. We, that's a loaded word, and we don't like talking about submitting or submission. And, uh, and it's, it is a loaded word. And it's funny because the idea of submitting and submission has changed quite a bit in the last, uh, last several years. It's changed. You know, there was a, re- uh, 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 a new sport kind of burst onto the scene in my lifetime called the UFC. Right, man, is it hot in here? Or is that just your mean mugging me over this jersey? I can't figure out, is all these mean stares? Is this, is this difficult for you to take in on Super Bowl Sunday? <laughs> My team's not playing, your team's not playing. Hey, easy, easy. Photoshop, Photoshop, fake news. <laughs> And the sermon's over. No. <laughs> but this relatively new sport, this UFC sport, popped up in, in my lifetime. And prior to that, it was only like WW something wrestling. And we knew that was fake. But, uh, but suddenly there was this other sport. And a big part of this sport was getting someone to submit, taking them by force and getting them to give up. And it's funny, when that sport was first coming onto the scene, like different people caught on different times and, and learned stuff. Depending on where you grew up, you learned different things about like the real fighting versus the fake fighting. So I'm a college student in the dorms. I'm 17, 18 years old. And uh, two guys are, are having one of those Christian discussions that men will have from time to time. It started all like fun and games. Uh, one of the guys was sitting on the other guy's bed, and uh, he did one of those things that guys do that gals don't do, that, you know, just creates an aroma in the room. So depending on your relationship with that person, it's either the funniest thing or the most offensive thing you can do to someone, right? The problem is, guy number one, uh, we'll just make up a name for him, we'll call him Brian. Guy number one, Brian, he's a big dude. But he's also a musician. So big dude musician, guy number two, we'll pick a name for him, we'll call him Dave, sitting on the bed. And, uh, and Dave is not as big a dude, but he's all jock. So big dude, musician, not quite as big a dude, jock. Not quite as big a dude, jock, has now started something that he's going to have to be prepared to finish. What he didn't know about musician Brian is musician Brian grew up in L.A. Musician Brian had actually really fought people before. Jock Dave, not so much. Musician Brian also, come on now, my musicians in the room know this, emotional swings from time to time. (laughs) Emotional swings from time to time. So you may think you're getting one emotion, Something happens that you think is funny. He doesn't think is funny. The emotions may swing to the other end of the spectrum. What started off as ha, 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 turned into blows within moments. So what happens is Brian dives on Dave. They're fighting on this bunk bed. I mean, there's a lot of man just rolling around fighting on this bunk bed. They fall onto the floor. Brian, now Dave is very confident as Jock Dave, that musician Brian, although he outweighs him and is larger than him, isn't a threat. What he doesn't know is because he doesn't know how to fight, and Brian does, Brian rolls around, takes his back, come on now, those of you who know this, and immediately sinks in a rear naked choke. Now, this is before most of us had heard the term rear naked choke. We're laughing as Dave is flailing, and then suddenly Dave goes to sleep. None of us had ever seen this in real life before. So we all assume immediately, Dave is dead. (laughs) Brian, over this issue, you have killed a man in the dorms. (laughs) Panic ensues. The prayer warriors are coming out. People are checking and slapping Dave in the face. And then suddenly, (gasps) He comes back online. It's 
throat sore, his eyes are watery. I don't know if he was crying, Dave. You're probably crying if you ever listen to this. Both of them are still in ministry, by the way, today, so it worked out okay. But we learned something about submission and dominance. And there's a whole other message than the one I want to give right now about sometimes you got to understand when God puts on the submission move that it's time to trust God and tap and not fight to the point where you got to be knocked out, come on now, to get up and move to the right place. That's a whole other message. But I'm just saying, we learned something about submission. And one thing that we learned is that Brian didn't care if you tapped. He was angry. There's a funny change that's kind of come over uh, uh, the conversation around submission because we used to think submission just meant I do what you say. And sometimes submission means I impose my will on you. But biblical submission is not either of those things. And because it's not either of those things, it's tense sometimes for us to have a conversation about submission because we immediately think someone must be dominating me or someone must be imposing their will on me because that's the only reason that someone would submit. Yet the scriptures don't tell that story. As a matter of fact, the scriptures tell a story of submission as a critical component in keeping any love relationship alive. Even the most intimate relationships of our lives, all the way out to just our healthy outside external other relationships. Submission is a healthy component of relationships. And here's the thing. It's easy to fall in love. It's easy to fall in love. It's difficult sometimes to stay in love. I saw uh, one pastor say it this way. I loved it. It was, a, it was a funny saying. He said, falling in love requires a pulse. But staying in love requires a plan. Falling in love requires a pulse. Staying in love requires a plan. And part of the plan that the scriptures paint for us on having healthy relationships that are rooted in love is having an understanding of this idea of submission. It's part of the plan so that we learn to stay in love. It doesn't matter if we're talking about your most intimate relationships or just your friendships. Here's how I know submission is important in your friendships. If you are friends with someone and your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road and you call and you're looking for help and they say, hey, that's not my problem. Come on now. They probably aren't someone who's in your close circle of friends. But for me to leave what I'm doing and come and help you requires an element of submission. Surrendering my plans, my agenda, what I was going to do. Every healthy relationship has some level of willful chosen submission in it. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, 21, that we have to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's at the kind of apex of two conversations that he's having. He's having a conversation with the uh, Ephesian church about do's and don'ts behaviorally, and he's going to use this to change the conversation. And this is usually where we start the conversation about husbands and wives and marriages right here in Ephesians. But we miss so often that the entire conversation is predicated not on wife roles, husband roles, none of those things. It's on relational context. If you want healthy relationships, you submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence, respect, love for Jesus. I know this makes sense when I'm talking about my bride. I've made a vow to her. I've made promises to her. How does this make sense when we're just talking about people that God puts in our path? How does it look like that? And it's hard because submission requires another word that we don't like to talk about too much. It requires humility. It requires humility. It requires me thinking you're important enough for me to give you my strength and not thinking just I am the most important thing. And humility is almost always painful. It always requires something of me. Something has to die for humility to take over. My pride, my time, my resources, my self-serving attitude. Here's the thing, church, submitting and humility are not great conversation starters. They don't go over really well in a crowd. Some of you are already thinking, I could have been prepping for the Super Bowl right now. 
And we're talking about these topics that are uncomfortable. Yet we look at the scriptures and we see God say things like, the, I mean, throughout the scriptures that God, God, uh, that he, sorry, I lost my train of thought. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God stands against people who are proud and is compassionate and graceful towards people that are humble. It's in 1 Peter, it's in James, it's in the Old Testament, it's all over the place. Here's the thing I'm wondering. How come no one is walking around then today saying, you know what I'm working on right now? I'm working on my humility. I'm trying to deal with my humility. You know what I'm working on this week? I just feel like God's really working with me on my submissiveness, that I'm willing to submit. I'm telling you, I have conversations with people and they will, they'll give their stuff Man, I'm working on, I'm battling with lust. They'll, they'll give their stuff. I'll, man, I'm, you know, I'm working on, I'm just, man, I'm working on greed right now. I just, I know that there's some things that I want that are just owning my heart. I'm, I'm, man, I'm working on that. You know what I'm working on? I'm working on envy. I'm seeing what other people have and I, I want it. I'm working on gluttony. Come on now. I'm not taking good enough care of my body, of myself. I'm dealing with anger issues. I'm dealing, like people will be honest about that. But I got to tell you, in like 20 years of doing ministry, no one's ever walked up to me and said, you know what I'm working on? I'm trying to increase my humility. I'm trying to learn to be more submissive and submit to one another. No one's ever had that conversation with me, ever, at any point. Yet time and time again, the scriptures tell us it is one of the key critical components to staying in love, to having healthy relationships. It's all over the scriptures. God knew this principle was gonna be challenging, so he brings it up over and over again, time and time again in different contexts. Romans 13, he says, you gotta to submit to governing authorities. Woo! We gotta pray for those who are in leadership over us and submit to governing authorities. James 4, 7, submit to God. Hebrews 13, 7, submit to church relationships and people in authority there. Children, submit to your parents, wives, to husbands. Um, at one point, it said slaves to masters, and we gotta update that a little bit and talk about employees to employers. Whoo, no one wants to have that conversation. Older to younger. Ah! And then here's Paul with this giant blanket statement. In all your relationships, submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence and respect for Jesus. So it's not an unseen biblical principle. It is basic Bible teaching that our relationships, in order for us to work and live out this life and follow the model of Jesus, submission is a component. So why don't we talk about it more? Because we have a picture in our head that submission means you grab me from behind and choke me out and force something down my throat. So I want to talk a little bit about why Paul drops this massive relational bomb into our midst that submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is a key component to how we see each other, how we live with each other, how we deal with each other. For some of you, the entire time I'm talking, you're going to be thinking about your marriage relationships. That's okay. Some of you about friendship relationships. That's okay. It doesn't matter what your context of relationship is that God's speaking to as we dive into here. The principles remain the same. So if you have your Bibles, you can jump to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to be there for just a moment. And Paul is writing to a church that he loves, to friends he wants to encourage, who have been a point of encouragement to him. And he's writing from this unique situation, not unique to him, but maybe unique to us. He's writing from jail. He's in a prison cell. Um, he's in a Roman jail. Most likely he's been, <laughs> the way they did their cells, I mean, they just didn't care about their prisoners. They just dug a hole, put a grate on it, and they're in jail. And if they need to double stack you, they would just double stack you. Woe to the guy who's on the bottom level of a stacked-in prison cell. And then they didn't care about providing for you. You had to have friends or relationships that would come by and give you basic supplies. Paul writes at one point, he's like, I'm going to need my cloak. I'm in a hole in the ground. Can someone bring it to me? So Paul's in a situation where he has every right to write about how frustrated he is about how good he's been to everyone else and why aren't they coming around and being good to him? Why isn't there protesters outside? Free Paul, free Paul. What's going on? 
But instead, he's writing to the church, and he's encouraging them, saying, I don't want you worried about my situation. I want you to remember what we saw when we saw Jesus demonstrate how to do life together, because that's the thing that will sustain you beyond my influence. So he writes this incredible letter. If you have never read Philippians, you should just read it. It's just encouraging all the way across. But in chapter 2, verse 1, he's having this conversation to people who have met Jesus, saying, this is how you stay in healthy relationship. And he says, therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing of the spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Have the same love, be of one spirit and of one mind. It's interesting. Paul's aware that there's a difference between unity and uniformity, right? Uniformity, I can impose on you. We have a dress code here. Everyone has to, guys and ties, girls and dresses, or kick you out, right? Uniformity. Uniformity is behavioral distinctions. And he's saying uniformity is not the same thing as unity. Unity comes when we have the same heart and we want the same things and we believe in the same God and that he's directing us to the same places. Unity comes when we catch vision and we see what Jesus sees and we see people. And he's saying, listen, he's breaking out relational principles and he's saying it's gonna start when this isn't just behavior modification. This is a heart that sees what Jesus sees, how Jesus saw it. And that's how you're gonna get unity. That's what's gonna change and move people. It's gonna be insided heart things. He says, you're gonna have to have the same love and be of one spirit and of one mind. And now he begins to break it out. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourself. Whoo, that's hard. Nothing, nothing, not a thing, zero things. Start from a position of selfish, what's in it for me? Ambition, where can this get me? Vain conceit, because I'm awesome. (laughs) Nothing starts from that spot. Instead, learn humility and value others above yourself. Are you saying someone's better than me, Paul? Listen, they ain't better than me. So no to everything you say next, right? That's our general position. That's the general stance that we take. We're very concerned with making sure you know how awesome you are and how awesome I am. So how in the world can Paul make this make sense? Well, let me give you some context. You've been in situations where you've considered people better than yourself. Now, I'm not talking about basic human value. Come on now. God is no respecter of persons. It rains on the just and the unjust. This isn't about someone has more basic value than you. But you've been in situations where someone's more important than you. Here's how I know. You've been to a wedding where you weren't the bride. (laughs) Right? When you walked in, no one stood. The music didn't change. People didn't shut up and turn and look. But when they did, all those things happened. In that moment, you considered that person above yourself. He said, That's, this is their day. They have more value in this place than I do at this time. Not they're more valuable to God as a person. Come on now, that's not the conversation we're having. We're having we understand how to treat someone who we respect and esteem and has value. Maybe you've been in the presence of someone famous. You got to meet one of your heroes, an author of a book or a speaker or someone who's done something and you had a chance to meet them and you, you got up to the front, I've done this before, and I, you, I wanted to get an autograph on a book that someone had written. And I had in my head like, just be cool, just be cool, say the thing you mean, right? I'm working out a script. I memorize and say things for a living. If I can't get 30 seconds out without being a, you know, tongue-tied, see, this guy, <laughs> I should be able to pull that off. Guess who didn't pull it off? This guy. A sign, please. Picture. Yay. Next. This cattle called me through, right? Why is that a thing? Because at that moment, at that place, this is a person who I respected. And there was a line of people 
Hundreds of people waiting in line for 30 seconds with this individual. Guess what none of them asked for? 30 seconds with me. I was also in that line. I could have turned around and had conversations with people, but no one was in line for me. So you understand that there are contexts and places and times where we treat people with a sense of value that is higher than what we treat ourselves in that situation. Think about your most valuable possession for a minute. Something that you really deeply value, a physical possession, not a person. How do you treat something that's really valuable? He says in humility value people. How do you treat something that's crazy valuable? Maybe it's only valuable to you. I was thinking about things I have uh, that are really valuable to me. Most of the things I have that are valuable to me, you wouldn't pick up in a yard sale because it's the history that gives them value to me. I have in my, uh, in my cabinet, my pantry, not my cabinet, my, what is that where the dishes go? Cabinet, right? Right now, a tortilla warmer that sat on my grandma's counter for probably at least all of my life. And it's not nice. It's functional. It wasn't artisanal, right? It's not fine china. It's burnt on one side where one of the cousins pushed it too close to the grill, right? It's, it looks like garbage. If it was in a yard sale, it would not get thrown into a bag of all you can take for a dollar. But I care about that. It has value to me. It's high enough that the kids can't mess with it, right? It's not on display because I have a wife. It doesn't match any of her things, and she's valuable to me. (laughs) But it's in a cabinet, (laughs) right? And it's valuable to me, and it's not going away. And whenever we move houses, it's going with us, and it'll be in a cabinet again because it has value forever. It's never doesn't going to have value to me. You treat things a certain way when they have value to you. Growing up, we had one of those living rooms that no one could go in. With the nice couches. What are the nice couches for? Are there nicer backsides in this house than mine? What, how, how, what is the point of the nice couch? I never understood it. But I knew, and we had a small house. It was like a 1,400 square foot house. There's only two living spaces that you could be in. And one of them was off limits because it had the nice couches and you treated them a certain way. You treated them like they had special value. You treated them with respect. If anybody walked in the house, it was the first room and then you got out of that room and you treated them with respect. People who stay in love treat people with high value. Part of the plan of staying in love is you treat someone with high value. You treat them with respect. You treat them like they're important, like they have meaning. You absolutely continue to treat them like they have value. It's funny, when Christine and I first fell in love, we were young, ninth graders, come on now. And she and I would, it was before the digital age, so you had to actually write things. And we would write letters. And then we would fold them, and she would fold them creatively because she's creative. And I learned one way to fold things, and everything was folded the same way. And then we'd hand them back and forth. And I would have, like, a shoebox filled with letters that had value. And I learned to treat those things with value. And it was like, wow. She writes things all the time around the house now. Lists. They don't have the same value to me. (laughs) Don't forget. (laughs) Right? What am I saying? People who stay in love continue to value each other. They see the things that they do. And you you see someone who's stayed in a, a relationship, a friendship, a marriage, any of those things for a long time. They continue to place value on that person. Now it's just the kindness of responding to a text message in a reasonable amount of time sometimes. Come on. It's placing value and remembering that they're value. How do we determine 
value. We've gone through this before, so I'll just go through it quickly. But I want you to remember this because it's so important as we talk about relationships with people. How do we determine value? The first way we determine value is what is someone willing to pay for it? Value is determined by what is someone willing to pay for it? In a moment, as we're breaking through this text, Paul has given a picture of Jesus's behavior towards us and how much he's willing to pay for us. Do you ever think you're bumping into someone who's not valuable? Do you know what God paid for that person? Just saying. We determine value by who created something. This is something that my wife made, my child made. I got a, you know, I got a artwork from my kids that's valuable because what? Who made it? Creates value. Who created every person you go eyeball to eyeball with? You're having a hard time placing a value on someone? That person's annoying. That person I disagree with. That person has beliefs that I don't like. That person says things I don't like. That person does things that I don't like. Oh, yeah? Who made that person? Who made them? We determine value based on who owns it. The owner gets to determine the value. If you come into my house and say, I'm going to give you $100 for your tortilla warmer, I'm going to say no. No. You can't have it. It is in my possession. Who is the owner? Who has the whole world still in their hands? So Paul walks us into this tension about submitting to one another. Why? Out of reverence and respect for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence or respect for Christ. Ephesians 5.21. Submit. Why? Because God has determined and predetermined the value of every single person. And submission is a critical component of staying in love. And he's demonstrated how value each and every one of you are. Created you, owns you, called you by name, designed you with a purpose, was willing to pay the ultimate price for each and every one of you. How dare we assume little value? Can I just be honest with you and throw kind of a bomb into the room? It's easy to fall out of love with something you don't value. It is, right? It's just easy to fall out of love. You get something, you're like, oh, this is awesome. Next one comes out. Who cares about that one? This one's awesome, right? Time to upgrade your phone. That first phone when you got it, oh, couldn't be without it. All my memories, everything's right here. All my memories on that one now, get this out of here. Give it to the kids. <laughs> Let them play Angry Birds forever on it. I don't care. You fall out of love with things you don't value. And if you don't value people, you're not going to love them. If you don't value people, you're not going to love them. So Paul creates this tension about the value of people, Philippians. Let's go to verse four. I'm not gonna get very far if I don't speed up. He says, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. Oh, this is so hard. This is so hard, you know why? Because I'm basically only interested in the things that I find interesting. And things you find interesting, if I don't find them interesting, I'm not interested. I mean, that's how it goes. So if you come at me and start saying, man, here's all the stats that John Kitna put up. Who cares? You're not even interested in former Seahawk players. <laughs> but if I come to you, <laughs> shots fired. And if I come at you and start telling you some story about Tom Rathman, you may or may not care. You're not interested. You're basically interested in things you're interested in. It's how it works. Yet Paul says, if you want to stay in love and treat someone with value, you're going to have to look at their interests. Come on now, people who have been in a relationship for a long time. There's some things that the person you love is interested in that you're not really interested in. I'm going to start off the sharing. And I'm going to talk about succulent plants for a minute. <laughs> right? For the first about 18 years of marriage, other than my children and myself, my wife kept nothing alive. 
And then suddenly, succulent plants came into our life. And a switch flipped. And my house is filled with tiny little plants. Every window seal, every shelf, every corner on the ground has a plant in it that she's happily keeping alive. And it's amazing for her. And you know what I do? I listen when she tells me about the plant. And I, and I actually got her for Christmas a subscription to they ship plants monthly in the mail to our house now. <laughs> Write that down, gentlemen. That's a good one. It's a good gift. She has a subscription to, I don't even know how that's a thing, but it happens. And I've learned to be at least this much interested because she's interested. And together, it gives us something to care about. And she is someone that I love, so I care about the thing. My kids come running up to me all the time. Whatever game they're playing, they pass the level. It's easy for me to not be interested. Because I'm not interested in that particular game. I don't care about it at all. But I care about you. So I take a moment and I share your interest. I'd be interested in the thing that you find interesting. See how that works? People who stay in love figure this out. People who learn how to submit and, and, and embrace humility as part of the process figure this out. They learn how to, come on now, not only, doesn't mean they abandon their own interest. It's just they don't only look at their own interest. If I had a dollar for every time my wife heard me tell some sports story, some current event sports story and how frustrated I was with whatever spoiled athlete didn't want to play for my team. But she listens and she feigns. I mean, she's interested. And she leans up next to me and lets me run my mouth about some topic that she would normally not be interested. Why? Because we've chosen to plan to stay in love. And part of that is showing interest. You have relationship with just some people and the things they're interested in, you're like, oh, here they come. We're going to get a story about whatever the thing is. And if you want to demonstrate love and submission and humility and you want to stay in relationship with that person, Paul says you can't just only care about your interests. Now, if every time you walk up to someone, you're desperate to just talk about your one interest all the time, you're on the other side of this coin. Let someone else get five seconds out about their interests or people will eventually run away from you. Just saying. And if you don't know anyone who's like that, you do. <laughs> Just saying. My wife loves celebrating big days, holidays. I don't do holidays that well. Not interested in, because it's expensive. I see expensive and she sees love and kindness. And I see debits. <laughs> but she's interested in those things. Come on, I'm just I'm, I'm feeding you low-hanging fruit here. Come on. This is easy. And Paul's like, you have to figure this out. Verse 5. He's going to bring this home here. It says, in your relationships with one another. This is what this whole series is about. How we treat one another. Do we see the faces? Do we see the person? Do we respect that there's someone that God's created, that someone God loves, that someone God designed, even if we disagree? He says, in your relationships with one another, you gotta have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And look at how Jesus modeled this. Verse six, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I'm sorry, but if I had equality with God, I cannot promise I would not use it for my own advantage. If I had the power and authority of the cosmos, I would be at the Super Bowl watching my team win right now. I mean, I'd leverage it out so it wasn't just a wipeout so, you know, other folks could enjoy the game. But I would just make sure, right? I would use it to my own advantage. 
You like being treated with respect and having things that, that are part of who you are given to your advantage. You like when you walk into a restaurant and you, you are important and they say, we have the right, we have a table for you. And you don't like when you walk into a restaurant and you see a better table than the one you have and someone else is getting it. And you're like, why can't I have that table? And they're like, it's reserved. You're like, who is that person so special, Right. Yet Jesus said, he never walked in, you look through the scriptures, he never walked into the room and was like, that's my table. He never walked into the room and claimed this authority that he was entitled to. He never used and abused that authority to his own benefit as an advantage. As a matter of fact, Paul says, rather, verse seven, he made himself what? Nothing. Some translations will say he emptied himself. He literally poured out his privilege and authority and rights as God and said, I'm not going to operate from this position. See, that's humility. That's submission, believe it or not. Saying, I'm going to not take what I'm entitled to. Instead, I'm going to take the lesser, lower position. I'll be the one who washes feet if no one wants to stoop to that level. That was Jesus's heart. That's how he demonstrated that. Where am I at? Verse seven. Nothing emptied himself. Now here's the thing. We usually say people are what? Full of themselves. Right? Most people we know, if we were to have to decide, were they empty of themselves or full of themselves? We'd say they're more likely to be full of themselves. Yet Jesus said, and Paul said, in all your relationships, you got to be like Jesus, who had all authority, all power, all control, could do whatever he was wanting to do. He could literally call down angels and wipe you out if you disagreed with him. Instead, he didn't take any of that privilege. And in every relationship he walked into, he emptied himself. He wasn't full of himself. He went to the lower position. How'd he do it? By taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Wow. I think we missed the power of this statement. You got to understand, this is Isaiah chapter 6, sitting on the throne. The train of his temp robe fills the temple. The angels are screaming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is Jesus's natural state in heaven. There are angels screaming. The whole temple is shaking and filled with smoke because of the volume of the worship that he's experiencing. Isaiah sees it and he's like, I'm dead for seeing this. Ah, woe is me. I've got unclean hands and lips. I can't even see you in your state in heaven. It will kill me to see that. That's the same Jesus who Paul says didn't take any of those privileges and rights, emptied himself, took the very nature of a servant, and look at verse eight, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled. Woo! He humbled, placed under, gave his strength to himself. How did he demonstrate his humility? By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus opts for relationship over respect. Wow. Whoo, that's a hot one. He says, I'd rather know you and you know I love you than you treat me with the respect that I'm entitled to. I'll take the beating. I'll take the criticism. I'll take the name calling. I'll take all of those things. I'll take the heat. Rather then demand that you treat me the way I'm entitled to. Why? Because I'd rather know you and you know me. I'd rather be approachable. I'd rather use my strength to lift you up. He chose relationship over respect. You know, the first time I heard this concept, it was a tough one. I was actually at a, oh gosh, I forgot the name of the conference, the men's conference that used to just fill up stadiums all the time. Promise Keepers. I was at Promise Keepers. Someone was on stage and we were in an arena full of men. He's waving his finger. And he said, hey, do you want to be right or do you want to be reconciled? In your relationships, do you want to be right 
or do you want to be reconciled? And I understood this wasn't about not telling the truth because we're the truth people. This wasn't about lying about what happened. But this was about, did I have to have, did my pride demand, come on now, that I got my way, that I bent you to my way of thinking, that I held the ground and nothing moved me? Did my pride demand that? Or could I submit and take my strength and say, you know what? I don't have to win this because I care about you. And it's less important that I'm right than that you and I are reconciled. Whoo! This is what Jesus does. He opts for relationship over respect. This isn't popular teaching, guys. This isn't popular thinking. Culture doesn't want you to be programmed to this kind of love. It wants you to just experience your power and your truth. That's all it wants you to do. And Jesus says, I have all power and truth, and I just lay it down. And in my strength, choose to empty myself of that because I care about you and knowing you. It's not disintegrous. It's about lifting you up and giving my strength. And you see the, the picture of submission. I don't have time won't allow me to do it. The picture of submission in the church is such a beautiful word. The word is hupatasu. It's a Greek word, and it just means to put under and lift, basically. And it's like the two pieces, hupa, under, tasu, lift. And, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but the basic visual picture of this word of submission, it's this beautiful word, it basically says, I take my strength, and I put it underneath you, and I lift you to a place where you couldn't have gotten without that strength. And so when, when Paul says submit to one another, he's saying, basically, I take my strength, I put it underneath you, and I lift you because I know it's your heart's desire to turn around and take your strength and put it underneath me and lift me. And this picture of mutual submission is a relationship where you know you can rely on my strength, and I know you rely, I rely on your strength, and together we're now strong in a way we could have never been separate. Yet we're afraid of submission, and so no one's willing to give their strength. And so authentic, loving relationships are, are always at arm's length because I don't want to risk it. It's too dangerous. You might take advantage of my strength. And, 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 and Jesus would say, yeah. But that relationship, if I called it to you to it, it's worth it. It's more important. Part of us, to do it this way, will have to submit. Part of us will have to to be in humility, considering someone at the value that Jesus placed at them. Look at how the story ends in this picture that Paul paints. It says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. There's this picture of trusting God enough to be willing to do relationships this way and trusting that in the end picture, God will lift you to a place of honor and respect, right? When we see Jesus on the scene next, there's a banner, right? He's on a white horse. There's like tattoos on his thigh. It's weird. And he says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And no longer are we like manger in a baby time. We're hanging on a cross time. It's like flaming sword and taking care of business time. That whole picture of at the name of Jesus, every, and we've all heard that, right? Every knee will bow, every tongue will bow. It's actually from Isaiah, like 45 or something like that. And, and it's this picture that God says that basically that, that at, at my name, every knee will bow. And then, so this pivot that Paul makes at the name of Jesus, this identifying, aligning that Jesus is fully God. And this heart to submit and, and do relationships that way is part of being fully God and fully man. It's possible. And it positions you to be lifted to higher places than you ever imagined. Let me give you some tools and then we're out of here. How do I submit to others? Because how do I actually do this, right? Like you're telling me I got to do it, but how do I actually do this? And we're, we're just about there and I'll let you get to the game and your snacks and all that stuff because it's important. I can't wait for snacks. <laughs> How do I submit to others? I'm going to give you just a couple of tools, basic ones. Every premarital couple I've ever taken through, I've used this statement to just give them like a tool. And so this is just basic human wisdom saturated with the scripture. Learn to ask, what can I do to help? 
Learn to ask, what can I do to help? You want to learn what mutual submission looks like when it's tense, when you're arguing, when it's like, oh, I want this. Well, I want this. Well, I want this. Well, I didn't get my way. Well, I want this. You know what? Stop. What can I do to help? You're frustrated. What can I do to help? It's really hard to be mad at someone who's asking you what they can do to help you. Right? I mean, you got to be way down the cliff of anger to be really mad at someone who's looking you in the eye just saying, I get it. I get it. What can I do to help, though? What can I do to help? It's just a basic tool of how can, it's basically saying, how can I give you my strength, right? How can I, how can I, how can we stop whatever whirlwind we're in right now and I, I give you my strength? Because that's the picture of biblical submission. So learn, ladies, gentlemen, write that down. Build it into your vocabulary. When the temperature in a relationship is going hot, husbands and wives, friends, people that you're just building relationship with and trying to love, it's an important question. How can I give you my strength? <laughs> decide. Do I want to be right or do I want to be reconciled? You're going to have to make a decision at some point. What's more important to you? If you want to live out, submit to one another out of reverence and respect for Christ, because why? God, this is what Christ modeled. This is why he's able to say this is out of reverence and respect to Christ, because he's also able to say this is how God did it, right? So you got to make a decision. What's more important to you? And you got to answer that question because that will move the needle. Without that, you can't ask the next question. And the next question is ask, what does love require of me? If I see how Jesus did it as a demonstration of love in this situation, what does love require of me? Does it require an apology? Does it require some service? Does it require some self-reflection? Does it re what does it require of me? How can I be patient? How can I be kind? Come on, open your 1 Corinthians 13 and read what love is and then ask in this situation. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Get into it and ask the question. Here's my situation. What does love require of me in this moment? And that's the picture of Submission. Trusting God enough with your life that you can wait for him to lift you up. And the promise of scripture is that if you do this right, God will do his part. The last verse I'm gonna leave you with, uh, 1 Peter said, 5 says it this way. It says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. It says, if you live this way, God will lift you up. He will. Now listen, some of you are frustrated because you're like, you did not touch on my personal specific situation and I don't have time, okay? The game's coming. <laughs> but I do want to acknowledge that some of you are in situations where the thing that's being demanded of you is outside of what's reasonable according to the scripture and that's your guide, right? Whether it's submitting to governing authorities, whether it's submitting in a relationship, whether it's submitting to someone in ministry that's over you, if it is outside of the, of the purview and the lines of scripture, that scripture lays it out, if someone's asking you to submit in a way that is dangerous to you, that is unfair to you, that is violating your core and your boundaries, that is not the kind of submission that scripture ever asks you to do. This is our guidepost. That's why it's important that you get in it and you recognize so I just want to throw that out there as a cautionary, boundary, honest conversation point that unless we're going to be here another hour, I can't break all that out for you today, okay? But I want you to understand, I hear your tension. I know you're feeling some tension right there, and that is the right boundary marker to hold, but it's no excuse, come on now, for holding everyone out as if they have no value, as if you're unable, come on now, to ever acknowledge that humility is important, to lift someone up and build them up and give your strength to them. It's no excuse. We're the people who do that time and time and time again in Scripture. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. I can just imagine. I've been, I mean, this whole series has been all about this incredible power of healthy relationships and seeing people for their true value. And I can just imagine a church like this and a place like this and a city like this catching hold of this kind of way of seeing people leading with forgiveness, acceptance, caring, encouraging, and ultimately submitting 
not because we're somehow manipulative, but because we just recognize that's the model that scripture lays out for us to actually have healthy, authentic relationships. And I think about what damage that would do to the territory the enemy's tried to take, trying to convince us to stay isolated and away from each other. Because when we don't really see people, it's easy to push them out. It's easy to just to keep them at arm's length. And if we don't ever have to submit to anyone, then we never have to be in relationship with anybody. It's awesome. Except for it's not true and it's shallow and it's empty and it's from the pit of hell. It's not how we were designed to live at all. And so this crazy tension gets in us. And, and uh, I don't know if you're, if you're not using like the discussion questions as part of a small group environment. Yeah, I just, I want to encourage you. We're, we're providing that. It's on the Facebook page. You can see it, I think. I don't, I don't know how you can see, you can see it. But, uh, but, uh, but to just ask questions during the week. What does love require of me? What, is it, what does that look like? How does that look? How does it look if I'm going to give my strength to someone? Can I do that? How do I model when I have the position of authority and power in the situation, Jesus's model? How do I live without taking advantage of all of the authority that life's given to me and emptying myself and building up others? How would that look in my relationships with one another? What might be different? I might meet someone, not even romantically, and be easy to fall in love with them for a moment. But if I'm going to stay in a loving, come on now, you know this, to keep a friend, a friendship alive requires a plan, requires purpose and intentionality. So how are we going to do that? That's the thing. If we start breaking into that, we can change culture. We can change the neighborhood. We can change this church. We can change the dynamics, the spiritual dynamics of this community. And we can begin to make genuine, real impact into people's life. Worked for Jesus. What if we tried that? Jesus, we love you. Thanks for challenging us, stretching us, taking us to places that are uncomfortable and difficult and, and you, the principles of the scripture that sometimes aren't the easiest things to just walk into, but the reality is they're good and they're true and they bring life if we understand your heart behind it. And so give us your heart. Help us to see people at the value level that you see them. Some of us gotta look across the dinner table and remember to keep the right value system alive. Come on. Some of us got to look across the work desk and some of us got to look across the grocery counter, wherever it is, and see who you created, who you valued, who you designed, who you paid the ultimate price for, who belongs to you ultimately, and recognize how much value they genuinely have. Help us to have those kind of eyes, I pray. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Church, God bless you. I'm gonna be on a short-term missions trip this week, which is amazing. So be praying for Christine and I. We'll be in, uh, in Costa Rica this week, um, which is awesome. Then we'll play a little bit on the backside. Come on now, because uh, I love my wife and I wanna take care of her. So be praying for your pastor and his wife this week. We love you guys. Awesome. Have a great week in the Lord.